0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're in verses 12 through 25. Beginning in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So this is the Word of God for the people of God this morning. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? Father, Lord, I come before you with your word open. I ask God that you would come and speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would um, come and, and help me, help us in these moments to have our hearts open to what your spirit would say through your living, breathing, active, purposeful word. Pray, God, that you would come and do a work of trans, transformation in us. Help us to wrestle with what it means to follow in your footsteps as Peter instructs us to, under the inspiration of your Spirit. Lord, we trust you to do that work in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Say I have to confess and admit right up front that this this text here that we're studying through, when I first sensed that this was where God wanted to take us, the book of 1 Peter, that this text was the reason why. This is a passage that I have referenced often as a pastor among this church family over the last year. I've noted it. I've quoted it. I've paraphrased it often, not just in the pulpit, but often in other communication, text message, phone calls, emails, as we wrestled with the year that we just walked through. Now, as I begin to sense the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is where you need to go, I could have just stepped into the pulpit and preached a one-off on this text. But I sensed and felt like the most important thing that I could do is preach the context of this text before arriving at preaching this text. And I would also say the beautiful thing for me in in the study as I worked through this is that all of the weeks coming into this word by word, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, thought for thought, has just deeply solidified what I thought to be true about this text and furthermore, given me an expanded view of what was taking place in Peter's mind and in the churches that needed to hear what he says here. I think the core of this text is is where he says that you might follow in his steps. And so I got to thinking this question this week. I got to thinking, like, what does it actually mean to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? You know, try to answer that question in, by way of application, especially in the year that we just walked through, in the year that we're walking into, um, with all of the craziness of COVID, all the craziness of mask wearing, all the craziness of lockdowns, all the craziness of gathering restrictions, all all the insanity um, of the political atmosphere we just walked through. All the insanity that seems to have bubbled up out of the church as it got squeezed like a grape. You always tell what's inside of a group of people in a nation when they get squeezed. In some ways, I think we saw the church at its best in some ways. And I think in some ways across our nation, we saw the church at its worst this last year so i think this text is timely for us what does, it, what does it look like to follow in the footsteps of jesus in the midst of everything we've just walked through and, and on our walking through right now you don't need to be a rocket scientist when you're looking at this text to figure out what it means right i mean peter's pretty straight he's pretty clear he doesn't really leave anything for the imagination you don't have to be a rocket scientist Peter's simple instructions in this text, though we don't oftentimes like to hear it, are simply this. Follow in Christ's footsteps, practice honorable conduct, submit to human government, do good in the sight of God and man, submit to unjust masters, and when in doubt, it's simple, follow the example of Christ. Why? Why? Simply because if you are actually a Christian then the truth is, as he wraps up with, Jesus is the one who has saved you, and he's the one who continues to watch out over your soul, right? That's Peter's thought process in the text that I just read. Once again, not rocket science. Not rocket science at all. I think the real issue here, as I examine my own heart and examine the response of the church in America over the last year and a half or so, The real issue here is I don't think that we like listening to or obeying God's word. I don't think any of us like that deep down inside. We don't naturally lean towards listening to a text and then obeying it, especially if it offends us or if it goes against the cultural standard that we are accustomed to, right? But I would say this, in answer to that recognition deep within my own heart, I would say this. If I would try listening to and obeying God's word for a change, then what do you think might happen? I might actually get changed. All levels of change that have not happened deep down inside of you or I are simply because we don't like to change our patterns, listen to, and obey God's word. I want you to notice the treetop view of the flow of Peter's entire argument. I want you to go back to verses 9 and 10 in your minds or in your Bibles. I'm just going to skip through this quick. It's not going to be on the PowerPoint in front of you, but in verses 9 through 10, Peter says, hey, you are God's chosen royal priestly people. You belong to the family of God. That's his entire thought there. I I think the title of the message when I preached it was, you are special, right? You're God's chosen, royal priestly people, and you belong to the family of God. And then you look at verses 11 through 12, we just read verse 12, but you look at those two verses together, and he says that as beloved children of God, what do we need to do? We need to abstain from sin and keep our conduct honorable. We're going to deal with verse 12 a little bit more here in just a moment, but that's his argument there. Stay away from sin. Keep your conduct honorable. Simple, clear, right? No rocket science here. Everybody agree so far? Okay. Verses 13 through 17. He says that we are to submit. The word that he uses there, be subject, is the word submit. Not a word that any of us really like to hear. None of us like the concept or the idea of submission. It sounds like surrender. We don't like surrender. We'll surrender to Jesus, the blue-eyed blonde haired jesus who loves to hold babies and say nice things and never say hard things we love to submit to that jesus right but not the jesus who flips tables and tells peter get behind me satan right not that kind of a jesus that kind of jesus better not be influencing our pastor you know what i mean in this context though he says hey you are to submit to human government even when that human government is promoting evil you might say i don't see that in the text joe no you will we will here in just a moment look at verses 18 through 20 which we're going to look at more he says the word to submit to unjust masters unjust bosses and that's a hard one too like if i have if i have an employer or a supervisor who is treating me wrong or unjustly i want to talk about him or her to someone else that's my go-to may not be yours that's called gossip and slander in verses 21 through 25, he says that we are to follow Christ's example and walk in his footsteps. And so I wanted to give you that broad overview so that you can kind of catch the entire thrust of Peter's argument here, his, his entire instruction, so you can kind of get a sense and a feel for the context. He starts out with, hey, you belong to God, you're beloved, you're special, you're his priestly possessions. And then he moves on to, now live like it. So he moves on to, so the broad theme here is that if we are followers of Jesus, then we must behave like followers of Jesus. We must simply walk in his footsteps. Now to that end, Peter begins with instructions regarding the government, right? Kind of like he kind of comes out swinging, in, in my opinion. He, hasn't come on, he doesn't come out of this with a very light beginning, like, hey, let's kind of woo you into this before I drop the big bombshell. He's kind of more like, no, let me just get an M80 and poof, drop that there for you. We're just going to blow all of it up, and then we're going to pick up the pieces. In the midst of picking up the pieces, we're going to give you some more instructions to uh, just kind of come alongside of all of what I just said, right? So that's where he starts. He starts with submit to human government, verses 13 through 14. Now, as I said a little bit ago, submission is a really difficult topic to wade into. The the waters of that topic when it comes to submission are are deep, they're tumultuous, they're full of discomfort. Not many of us like to hear about submission. Nevertheless, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there other than just identifying the fact that right off the bat, many of us in this room already have resistance inside of you because you've heard a word that you don't like. And maybe for some right reasons, maybe you've heard that word abused. Or maybe it's just simply that deep down inside me, I don't like the idea of submitting to somebody else. Right? Nevertheless, verses 13 through 14, look at what Peter says. Let's just get to his words, the words of the Holy Spirit through Peter. Be subject or or submit. Why? Ask that question. Why? Well, he answers the question for the Lord's sake. That's interesting. That's his reason why right off the bat. Be subject for the Lord's sake, not for your own sake. Not that it might go better for you. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. <coughs> so, what's Peter saying? Again, simple. We're to follow In Jesus' footsteps, by submitting to human government for the Lord's sake. Now, what I want you to do with me for a moment, because this was mind-blowing for me. I mean, it's easy for us to think right off the bat, like, okay, we know that the historical, political, cultural context where Peter's writing is different than America, right? We would all agree with that statement. But I would submit to you that most of us probably don't spend enough time thinking about how different the cultural, political, climate, and context were in Peter's day as opposed to ours. We just immediately jump to, well, I'm an American, and this is how I'm going to interpret that passage, okay? It's easier for us to do. It's hard work to sit there and go, what was actually happening? And then land a nugget that actually helps to translate all this into something, right? So think about the cultural context for a moment, though I could carry on for hours and hours and hours probably on what was going on there. I would just simply say it, the entire context of Peter's instruction here, it is set against a cultural backdrop of a dude named Emperor Nero. Raise your hand if you ever heard of Nero, not Nemo, Emperor Nero. Okay, not the little fish, but a really big bad man, all right. (laughs) Emperor Nero was a horrible man. He was a horrible president, if, if, if you will. The dude was known for using Christians as human lampposts as he burned them alive on the side of the street. And don't miss the fact, too, that he's the same emperor who's going to later oversee Peter's execution. Okay, So get that context in your mind. His name is not Trump. His name is not Biden. He's a much worse man. Think about Governor Felix. Anybody know who Governor Felix is? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of us. All right, so I'm going to give you the place to go to to study Governor Felix for a minute. That's in Acts 24. Governor Felix, almost at the same time that Peter is writing this, is in the midst of persecuting the Apostle Paul. And it's a fascinating showdown if you go read it. How about Pontius Pilate? Anybody know who Pontius Pilate is? All right, yes. See, so we're going we're to hear more about him in the coming weeks because it's Easter time and we talk about him a little bit, right? Pontius Pilate is most likely still alive as this letter is being written. This is the cultural, political climate that Peter is writing to. You look at Mark 15 and, and you'd find that Pontius Pilate is the one who ordered the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the government that Peter says submit to. This is the historical, political context of Peter's instructions. These men represent the government at the time of the writing of this letter. What, is, what does Peter say? He doesn't say what 99 percent of American Christians would say. He doesn't say, "Hey, time to go practice a little bit of civil disobedience." He doesn't say that. What does he say? tells his listeners to submit to them for the Lord's sake. That's crazy. How do you explain this away? I just want to take a quick bunny trail and a quick moment. As I read a commentary this week. The guy led into this commentary. His name is Kent Hughes. If I remember right, it's Kent Hughes. No, it's not. Let me scroll down to the bottom of my notes in one second. It's not Kent Hughes because I want to get that right because I'd hate to quote something wrong because then I might go to hell. David R. Helm. No. I won't go to hell for quoting the wrong guy. Just a good way to kill time while I was looking it up. So David R. Helm, uh, his commentary, which I do footnote in, in, in my notes that we do put online for anybody to go check out. So feel free. He lays out this really interesting introduction when he talks about how pastors all across America especially, and why do you think this is, all across America especially will use this text to preach civil disobedience rather than what the text actually preaches, which is civil obedience and he talks about how pastors who do such a thing are like drunkards leaning up against a lamppost rather than using the lamppost to shine light on the text itself because of fear so it's interesting that image in your mind image in my mind as i study the text would not want to bring disservice to god's word or rip it out of context like these guys that we're thinking about, Emperor Nero, Felix, Pontius Pilate, and they, they, make, they make our political climate look like cartoons. Don't you think? Like, ain't none of us walking out of here today and getting burned up in the middle of the street. Okay. Ain't none of us literally getting locked up because we're preaching the gospel. None of us. Peter's point here simply is that civil obedience instead of civil disobedience, this is the kind of conduct that honors the Lord. And then think about this for a minute. I mean, I know this is going to be hard for us to track with because we live in America, right? Civil disobedience is a way of life for us from day one. So I recognize that what I'm preaching into is absolute resistance. I know that. I not you think about this. If you would think with me through this, let the Holy Spirit do his work. Think about how Peter is the one who's saying this. What did Peter do on the night that Jesus was arrested? Anybody remember? He pulled out a sword. What was he going to do? What did he do? He cut off the ear of a guard who was arresting his Jesus. Right? Peter's mindset on that night was... I need to pull out my sword and protect my Jesus. I need to practice some disobedience here and protect my religion. That's what he's doing. What did Jesus say to him? Put your stinking sword away. And then what did Jesus do to the man whose ear he cut off? Picked up the ear and he healed him. That flies in the the face of how we would want to handle this. At least it does for me. I, I wouldn't pull out a sword out my SIG, both of them at the same time. Okay. Not my glock, because I don't carry glocks. Those of you that do, we're still praying for you. I'm looking for him in the back. Listen. This is the same man who did that, and yet today he's saying none of that. Today he's saying practice civil obedience okay to me that that sounds like transformation to me this is a point that we as americans probably need to ponder quite a bit more deeply than we really do because it's hard to ponder that this is the biblical command now if peter can call his listeners to civil obedience as a man who was once tempted to practice civil disobedience if he can do that in a time when the governing authorities were as evil as they were, then, then, then think, how much more do we need to hear this today? Right? In our Western culture. Like, I really believe that we are far too quick in our Western culture to rationalize away the clear instructions of this passage. Namely, that we're to follow Jesus' footsteps by submitting to human government. Now, I've already made mention of this but one recent application of this text you could apply this text very easily to some of the things i already mentioned apply it to all the recent clamoring within our western church during the covid 19 pandemic just apply it to the church during that time and you see people scatter like cockroaches in corners when a light gets shined on them because it's uncomfortable like rather than taking instruction from this passage i just want i want to let you in on the conversations that for me as a believer i engaged with you may not have engaged with these maybe you're in different places in these conversations i just let you know as a believer and as a minister here's the conversations i i engaged with painful conversations like rather than taking instruction from this passage to follow in the footsteps of jesus by submitting to human government many believers in america all across america in our social feeds Relationships, conversations, threatening, threatening, which goes against the example of Jesus at the end of this, when threatened, he didn't threaten, right? Threatening, um, even acting upon really ill-perceived examples of uh, actual civil disobedience in the Scripture. Because there are some. So I'll pause here for a minute and engage with it, just to set it straight. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who knows the story? Three guys chose not to bow down to a statue, right? Why? Because there's clear written words of Scripture that say, don't do that. There's no passage of Scripture that says, don't wear a mask or do wear a mask. None. Okay? So in their case, they had actually a really good biblical reason, a clear biblical reason to practice civil disobedience. Go look in Daniel 3, right? How about Daniel? Here's another one. This is another often tossed around one. You got Daniel in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. What's he doing? Who's familiar with the story? What does he do? He's told that he cannot pray, right? Is that a gray space in Scripture? Can anybody want to like? Is that gray space? Yes or no? No, not a gray space, right? It's very clear we are commanded to pray. So Daniel has a very good reason to disobey his government. Because he's obeying a higher authority, his name is God, right? Um, I'll give you one more, a little bit more contemporary. In fact, it connects to the text that we're reading. You might remember Peter and John. This one was tossed at me a few times. Like somehow, somehow this, this one would, would like win the argument here, right? Um, Peter and John, remember Peter and John refusing to stop preaching in the name of Christ? It's Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42 what's happening there they are literally being told don't preach the gospel anymore don't preach in his name there ain't nobody in the government telling us that we can't preach in jesus name they just simply told us this is the size of group you can meet in to keep people safe and the church goes ballistic i call that idolatry that's what i call that i think that's what the scriptures call that too and i think it also is called disobedience when it comes to god's word is that heavy yeah because whenever you start talking about obedience and disobedience it becomes very heavy we like to explain away and justify our our disobedience it's what we love to do believers love to justify those acts of civil disobedience regarding masks gatherings vaccines as though wearing a mask as though restricting the size of a church as though as though mandating a vaccine even if it was mandated is in direct violation of the clear written words of scripture, okay? Like, scriptures don't talk about that, they don't. And yet, why would the church, why would the church begin to argue about those things? Here's my belief. My belief is that we are shaped and molded more by our cultural, political atmosphere than we are by the very words of God. That's my belief. That's what I believe the American church is guilty of, and needs to repent of. And I believe the last year and a half should have brought us to that point. My concern is that I'm not sure that it's gotten bad enough for us yet. And you look at the, i said this numbers and numbers and numbers of times, you look at the nation of Israel, how many times their ministers stood in front of them and said, guys, if we don't repent, this is where it's headed. So I I dropped that one more time and said, I believe this is what God is up to. And you might say, well, I disagree with you. And that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. We can agree to disagree. So when someone asks me about whether or not it is time to disobey our government, I just simply ask them, "Can you show me in Scripture where this thing that our government is asking us to do is a sin?" Let me give you. Let me give you a very clear. Um, Let me give you a very clear illustration. If the government suddenly said today that every fifth child born to your family had to be aborted, I would practice civil disobedience because it's against the very clear written words of scripture. You follow me? In that case, I would disobey. But in other cases, I am not gonna ruin my testimony in front of the watching world because I don't like a piece of cloth or a shot or the size of gatherings. You can tell a lot about a group of people tell a lot about a group of people when our large gathering gets shut down and the small gatherings go down with it that's heartbreaking for a pastor I'll tell you that heartbreaking so in the midst of complaining in the midst of threats to practice civil disobedience here's questions I asked all along in the last year and a half do you gather with God's people regularly even if it's on a zoom call and you hate it do you because there's an opportunity there for you to meet but you choose not to that's on you right it's on you there's an opportunity for you to practice true community to the best of our ability and you walk away from it why why would you do that jesus died on the cross and zoom meetings are too hard what i mean i'm listening to a pastor this last week and he's He's getting into his Easter series and he says, hey, you know what, i got a beef with you guys. You walk in here every week and you see this cross hanging here and it doesn't do anything to you. It doesn't crush you. It doesn't bring you to a place of mourning. It doesn't bring you to a place before God where you bowed down before him because of what he went through on your behalf. You think because you prayed a prayer at some camp somewhere or some Sunday gathering somewhere, That somehow you're beyond that, you're no longer moved by the message of this cross. Do do you participate in scripture study by any means necessary? Like, would you be willing to pick up a phone and say, you know what, we can't meet this week the way that I'm used to meeting. I'm really uncomfortable with that, yes. Yes. I don't like it very much, but I got a phone in my hand that's attached to my hand all the time, and I can get on the internet and scroll all day long and check things. I want to get on this phone and just do a call with you and spend time in Scripture. Would you do that? Because these things are clearly written in Scripture that we ought to be in Scripture, that we ought to be gathering with God's people. See, people in China don't have the same conversations that American Christians had this last year because they've been dealing with far worse than we have for a long time. They can't own a Bible to gather dust on their shelves. They memorize the stinking thing because it's so precious to them because of what happened on that cross. How about this one? People hate this one in America. Do you give your time, talent, and treasure? Because those are clearly outlined in Scripture. Clearly. Uh, do you, how about this one? Do you actively labor to encourage other people, believers especially? Do you work to encourage your spiritual leaders? That's a doozy. Do you actually work at that? I tell you, throughout last year, I preached, I think, 60 or 70% of the messages last year to a camera in the back of the room and one guy named Bryce. It was a painful year for all of us. There was one person who faithfully, every Sunday, would text me and say, thank you. I, I mean, I know it was lonely for y'all, and it was lonely for me, too, how often do you encourage the spiritual leaders around you? When I say one person faithfully, there were others of you who did here and there, so I'm not bagging on you. I'm just, it's just a point. Like, How much do we think about the things that God's Word actually says instead of thinking about the things that God's Word doesn't say? you get my drift? Like, This is, this is like, I don't care if you text me or not. You get that? Okay? Like, I can live in the, in the encouragement of the Father. My point is, though, all along, do you pay attention to the clear written words of Scripture, or do you get caught up and hung up in things that God's Word don't even say? But the American church has somehow found a way to make it say what they want it to say. Okay? Do you utilize your social and relational, relational platforms to spread the good news of the gospel? Or do you utilize it to spread fear, hate, complaints, and conspiracies? The crazy thing about conspiracy theories is there's no way to argue with a conspiracy theorist. Because anytime you do, you prove their point right. So I just don't even argue with them. Not worth my time. I'll argue about the Bible, okay? It's called an echo chamber. Conspiracy theories are always full of echo chambers, every time. You can't get out of it. You say something, it echoes back to you, yep, sounds right. And somebody steps in there and goes, no, that's actually wrong. Oh, freak out on somebody, right? Yep. Backing away from that. Been bit one too many times by a rabid sheep. <laughs> it's like you take your rabies down to the freaking sheep store, get yourself a shot because i ain't even going to try to give you one anymore. You, you get what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> oh, you must be arrogant if you don't believe what I'm posting up here. Okay. Got you. Take your accusation to the bank and stuff it, right? Do you pay attention to the clear commands of scriptures? Do you conduct your life in a way that is honorable in the sight of God and men as you proclaim to be following Jesus? Because here's the thing doing good in the sight of God and men as we claim to follow in in Jesus' footsteps, that seems to be really important to Peter. The second thing he moves on to do good in the sight of God and men, verses 15 through 17. Now, I'm sure, I'm certain that many of you may wonder why I would pick on us so much for our reaction, our responses to the year that we just walked through, right? why would I advocate for civil obedience alongside the Apostle Peter? Why would I do that? Well, I'll tell you, I'm in much better company with the Apostle Peter than I am with anybody who wants to preach differently from this text. I'll take being crucified upside down if that's what it means. Because that's where Peter wound up at. Truth be told, I'm certain that Peter's original listeners probably would have asked the same darn questions we're asking. Like, why? Why are you... Why do you got to put your thumb on this, Joel? I'm sure they asked the same question. Pretty certain they're looking at Peter like, hey, you were the dude to pull out the sword. What is going on here? Dude got changed by the gospel. That's what happened. He started obeying God's word and listening to it for a change, and he got changed. That's what happened to Peter. Now, they may have wondered why Peter was addressing this topic, right? And I think what Peter does, like a good minister of the gospel, is he foresees his audience's resistance. And he relies on his own authority as an apostle. Not his own authority as a human, but his authority as an apostle who'd been sent by the Holy Spirit as his messenger. That's the meaning of the word apostle, sent as a messenger. So I think he's relying on that authority. With that authority of the Holy Spirit, what does Peter say? His reason for calling for civil obedience is because, look at the verses with me, 15 through 17. Make sure that I'm teaching you right, okay? You have the right to do that. You actually have the responsibility to make sure that what I'm teaching to you here is right. Like the Bereans in the scriptures do. Peter states that his reason for calling for civil obedience is because of this. This is the will of God. Interesting that he would say that. Throws it back on God. This isn't just me, a man, speaking. This is the will of God for your life. Okay? This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should do what? Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Who do you think the foolish people were? It wasn't just the foolish people in the the culture. There were foolish people in the church as well. And the apostles spent lots of time silencing the foolish people in the church. Take that word, take that phrase, do some work, you'll find it. Live, I love this, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. In other words, we are to use our freedom to do good in the sight of God and men as servants of God himself as we seek to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So walking in the footsteps of Jesus is really hard crap. It really is. And I don't think it was supposed to be easy. I just don't. Look at the cross behind me. The path to, to the, where he climbed up on that cross was hard. Now, here's the thing. Whenever freedom comes up in a biblical text, it's an interesting topic to me. Okay? It's an interesting topic to me, especially when you think about it through our ears as Americans. Okay, When we hear the word freedom when i hear the word freedom i think of like a 20 some year old movie um, called braveheart that's that's what i think of freedom has got the big so i got the i got that sword in my office in fact but when we hear the word freedom as americans we often think of the quote unquote the things that we've been shaped by molded by as americans the inalienable rights that have been afforded to us in our american constitution which was constructed on the basis of biblical principles. So don't, don't rip me out of context. But I have, at the same time, always been very quick to simply say this. Hey, the Constitution is not divinely inspired like the Scriptures. Okay? It's not. It's a good document. Uh, it, it's a good guiding principle. It, it's a good Constitution. Probably, one of the, probably the best Constitution you've ever seen. I would agree with those things based on some Biblical principles. Absolutely, by some some men who were Christians, some who claimed to be Christians and acted really stupidly and evil, right? Because that's the nature of men. And that's the nature of man-made documents. That's my point, it's man-made, it's not divine. Based on some divine principles, yes. But because of that, I think that we have to do work of disentangling our theological understanding of the scriptures from our existence as Americans. What am I saying? I'm saying that you, you cannot interpret our biblical freedom through the lens of the American flag. Love the American flag, y'all should know that. If you think differently, you've got me wrong. Love our American flag, but we need to disentangle and not interpret biblical freedom through the lens of the American flag. You have gotta seek to understand the Bible in its original context. Faithful biblical interpretation and application requires an understanding of the original audience and the original intent of the author before making any application to a modern audience. I know that sounds like really scientific jargon, right? Like you're telling me I have to do a bunch of work and figure out who the original audience is and figure out what the original author intended. Well, yeah, that would be a faithful way of reading God's word rather than just going, hey, what does this say to me today? Oh, don't get married. Oh, okay. You know, there's, there's a verse in one of the Corinthians that says, don't get married. There's another one that says, do get married. You follow me? I mean, I know that's a real simple meatball pitch, but you apply that same kind of reasoning and practice of reading the Bible to other texts, that's what you wind up with. You strip God's word of its authority and its power. We need to understand that when when Peter is talking about using our freedom to do good in the sight of God and man, he had a biblical theology of freedom in Christ in mind. He didn't have our Constitution in mind, okay? He didn't even have us in mind, because Peter had no clue we were going to be here, okay? So he did, he, what he had was a biblical theology of freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is a much different category than freedom as an American under the Constitution, Okay? What I'm trying to do is trying to separate us from the two. A freedom in Christ is not based on a loosely strung together set of principles regarding the freedom of speech or the freedom of religion with a bunch of little proof texts ripped out of the context under there, like lampposts. That's not what Peter has in mind. The freedom to do good in the sight of God and men here, it's the kind of freedom that is afforded to us, not in our U.S. Constitution. That thing can honestly, hear me out, it can get wadded up and tossed in the corner. It can get absolutely trashed. And our freedom in Christ will never change. Do you follow me? What we are given as a nation is a great, good blessing. But it's not the same. Because our biblical freedom, a theology of biblical freedom, it is afforded to us in the crucified, risen, and returning Savior. Every American has that opportunity, but not every American has that blessing. Agreed? This freedom that Peter is talking about, this is the newfound freedom in Christ to live as a servant of God. And if you live as a servant of God, now the tables change. Now you're no longer throwing up stuff all over social media about how you hate the time we're living in, how the other political party sucks so bad, and how Satan's going to take over, and so on and so forth. Now you're throwing stuff up on social media that honors everyone, as the text says, okay? And then I would add, regardless of political, religious, or ideological differences. Now, now if you, are, you have this newfound freedom in Christ to live as a servant of God, what do you do? You love the brotherhood of believers, okay? That's what you do. That, that's, that's the conduct that your life is known by, if you're a believer, right? Um, if you have this newfound freedom in Christ to live as a servant of God, then you would fear God above all other things. That's who you would fear. I have no reason to fear COVID. I got no reason to fear whatever political party is in office right now. I got no reason to. Why would I? I ain't my keen. I'll honor them. I will honor them. I will not talk trash. I will not post memes that make fun of them. I will not do that. I will do what Scripture tells me to. I will pray for them and I will honor them. Because that's what we're called to do as believers. Why? Because I fear God. And I don't fear God like I'm quaking in the corner. I know that He saved me. I know He's my Father, right? Like, I know what kingdom I'm part of. I'm part of an eternal kingdom that can never be crushed. This earthly kingdom is going to get crushed one day. It's just pretty certain of that. I might be wrong, but pretty certain all the earthly kingdoms get crushed. And a new heavens and a new earth get created. Why is that? Because they're full of sin. So I fear God. The newfound freedom in Christ that I have, I can, I can live as a servant of God by honoring the emperor regardless of how evil it is. Let's see, this is what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus by using our freedom in Christ to do good in the sight of God and man. And just in case, just in case, Peter's listeners, just in case we find all of these instructions to be super hard to listen to and obey which let's admit we will find it hard to obey i will find this very hard to obey i can tell you right now i don't live in fear of what's going on in our government but i can also confess to you that i will struggle with fear i will this is my home right this nation is my home and i enjoy the way that we live so I will live in fear at times. Well, I should say I will struggle with fear at times. I will not live there. I will struggle with it, but I refuse to live there. And I'd be happy to have any of you, any of you come to me and say, Joe, I think you're living in fear of what's happening right now in our country. I would love to listen to you. Because I need a brother or sister who will call that out of me when that happens. There are some of you who don't want that to happen for you, and that's between you and the Lord. Just in case Peter's listeners do find these instructions to be super duper hard to listen to and obey. What does he do? Tosses out one very, very practical instruction regarding submission to unjust employers, okay? So point number three, submit to unjust masters, verses 18 through 20. I'm going to try to blow through this quick because I'm out of time. When we read this portion of the text, our minds, I think, easily wander to our horrible history of slavery in the United States, which is a topic that should not be just brushed under the rug, as so many evangelical Christians love to do. Oh, you know, that was a really horrible time in history. Can we talk about something else? You know what I mean? That's the way the church oftentimes approaches it. It ticks me off. I'll spend no more time there than that. We have to be careful in this text not to import that into this, because that is not this. That is not what Peter's talking about or addressing at all here, okay? We need to interpret Peter's words in light of the cultural context that he's writing. He's not writing to the Israelites who are practicing the form of slavery that we're used to in the United States history. Peter is writing to Christians who would be among the servant class. That's the literal interpretation of what he says here. Or the blue-collar working class. That's who he's speaking to. And they are similar to those of us today who are probably working to pay off college loans or house mortgages. Anybody here got a house mortgage? Anybody here got a college loan? Got both. Anybody here pay rent in your homes? Anybody here paying a a loan off for a car or a motorcycle you just bought? Okay, so that's who he's speaking to. People who are under that pressure to pay something off need to work to do so, okay? With that audience in mind, what does Peter say? Look at it, verses 18 to 20. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. With all respect. Gosh, I hate it when he uses words like this. Okay? Like, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey, you can't quit and go get a different job. He's not saying that. He's just saying, hey, when you do and if you do, and if you don't, if you do stay there, make sure you honor those people and be respectful of them, Right? I know many of you have done really good at that. I've talked to many of you as you transition to new jobs. Sometimes that can be painful. Sometimes it can be hard. But I also know at times we do stumble and we're like, God, I hate that guy. Right? Anybody ever said that about their boss? I mean, I, God's my boss, so I mean, I probably shouldn't say those things about him. But here's the reality. I, you guys probably don't recognize this or understand this, but I don't know how many of there's probably 50 of you in the room. I got 50 bosses sitting here today, right? So... Sometimes I, I am like, gosh, freaking Will. No, I don't. I'm kidding, Will. It's just, I hate that guy. No. Ditto, dude. <laughs> so I just let you know, I do struggle with this. But, the, but the, clear, the clear words here, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Have you ever worked for an unjust boss? I've had some unjust congregants before. I don't think any of you were in the room anymore. I think y'all chased them off for us, so we're good to go. that's that's not true gosh Um, (laughs) I've been carrying on for too long he says this is a gracious thing When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter's argument simply is we should follow in the footsteps of Jesus by submitting to unjust masters, right? Here's what Peter leaves absolutely no room for. He leaves no room for the passive-aggressive, water-cooler complaints the believers so easily get caught up in at the workplace or in church hallways. I once heard... I once heard about a woman standing in a hallway talking trash about the pastor's daughter. And, I, and Here's the thing. There were other people gathered around that lady just kind of laughing about it. Like, oh, that's no big deal. And I'm just imagining that if that pastor's daughter heard that, how much damage that could have done to her soul. And in light of the Jesus that we claim to follow, this is a Christian person doing this? Whew. We've got to learn to watch our language, right? Watch how we gossip and slander people. Because that's called sin. And it put Jesus on a cross. What Peter argues here for is a kind of respectful submission, not only to leadership that is good, but also especially to leadership that is unjust. Because by doing so, that's a way to model the grace-filled mind of God that we're called to put on. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to do the right thing when someone is watching and we get the credit for it, Right? But Peter, Peter calls his listeners to do the right thing in respectful submission to unjust masters as they follow in the footsteps of Jesus because it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. And just in case anyone who wants to argue that God never calls us to suffer, Paul, or Peter moves on very quickly to the final portion of this text. He reminds his audience of Christ's example of suffering for his enemies. It's the last thing he says. So look at it. Number four, follow Christ's example, verses 21 through 23. These instructions to maintain honorable conduct, to submit to human government, to do good in the sight of God and men by submitting to unjust masters, that would need a rock solid example from the scriptures if Peter's going to expect any obedience from his listeners, right? Notice, notice that Peter doesn't fall back on Shadrach or Benny. He doesn't, he doesn't fall back on Daniel. He doesn't file back on his own experience with John in front of the ruling body of religious leaders. He doesn't make this about civil disobedience. He calls up the image of Christ crucified. That's where he goes with this. Peter basically says, hey, follow Jesus' example. For to this you have been called. Because why? Why have we been called to this, Jesus? Why have we been called to this, Peter? Well, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. That's the example we're supposed to follow. That you might follow in his steps. Literally says those words. He committed no sin. But you and I, we've committed sin, right? He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. So what better example could Peter give to his listeners than the the crucified Christ? What what footsteps would be better to walk in than our suffering Savior? I am convinced. here's Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that the American church does not have a good theology of obedience in the face of suffering and persecution. We have a good theology of fight or flight. Follow me? We have a theology of fight or flight. We don't have a good theology of obedience in the face of suffering. We all have this little tidbit of prosperity gospel that has made its way into us where we believe that Jesus suffered so that we don't have to suffer. And on the flip side, some of us have a suffering complex. All right, Anybody here got a suffering complex? I will not ask you to raise your hand because then you're going to feel like you're suffering if I ask you to raise your hand if you follow me. Okay. It's a suffering complex. Everything that happens is an absolute full blown attack on my Christianity. Okay. That's a suffering complex. Like, oh yeah. Okay. Go change your diaper, please. (laughs) It's like, I'm not changing that. (laughs) Change your own. (laughs) Which category do you think I'm in? I'm the one who needs the diaper change. Y'all should know this, okay? I hope that you know this. If you don't don't know this, you need to look at my Enneagram profile and understand that the way that I view life is a war coming against me. I'm going to fight my way out of everything. Okay? So I am preaching to myself, and if it catches you, great. That's what it's supposed to do. The reality, the reality is that if we're really walking in the footsteps of Jesus, what should we expect? to face actual suffering, actual persecution, obediently and graciously. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it simply means that we do not sin in our suffering. That we do not practice self-centered deception in our suffering. That we do not return evil for evil in our suffering. That we do not spew out hatred for our persecution in our suffering. That we do not threaten our persecutors when we suffer at their hands or their policies for that matter. But we trust ourselves completely to the sovereign and just oversight of our good Father in heaven. This is what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as we follow his example. How do you conclude this? I want to conclude it the same way that Peter concludes it. Peter gives all these instructions, submit to the government, do good, submit to evil masters, follow Christ's example, and then he explains why. Here's the big whammy. If you thought the first one, was a great big bomb. The last one, I think, is a great big bomb to you. Why? why? Why am I going to do all this? Why does this even matter? Right? Why does this matter? Why am I going to do this? Peter explains that he's given these instructions, and the answer to the why question is this. If you are a believer, if you are a believer, um, then you must listen and obey these instructions. Why? Because Jesus has saved you. Simple as that. And he continues to watch out over your soul. This is how Peter says it. He says that we should follow in Christ's footsteps. For because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, Anybody ever read the book of Isaiah? Isaiah 53. That's where these words are taken from. Isaiah has more influence over Peter than any other biblical author. And the great thing is, as I read this, I was struggling through, where do we go for Easter? And I just couldn't land. I couldn't get, get clarity. And then I wrote these words. Isaiah 53 is a text that all of us in this church would do well to spend some time in. So that's where we're going to head for Easter for those for the next couple of weeks. let spend some time soaking in Isaiah 53 and get a sense of what he means here when he says, hey. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. At the end of the day, Peter's argument here is that we are to listen to and to obey the instructions he has outlined for us. Here, why? Because if you're a believer, then Jesus has saved you, and he continues to watch over your soul. Amen? Would you stand with me? As I said at the beginning of this message, um, doesn't take a rocket scientist to interpret what Peter says here, agreed? But the great thing about preachers is we can put a lot more words to it to help make it make sense, and hopefully, hopefully the Holy Spirit has done that job through me today. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to interpret the text. Here's what it does take. It takes a heart that is willing to listen And a heart that is willing to obey. Where do you get that heart at? You get that heart at the foot of the cross. (coughs) You get that heart in the shadow of a bloody cross where Jesus died for you. You get that heart in the doorway of an empty tomb. You get that heart in the light of the promise of eternity. Okay? So that's my prayer for us. I'm going to pray that way. And then communion servers will come around. <coughs> we'll close in worship, and if you need prayer, and hey, come find me, I'll be right over here. Love to pray for you if you need prayer. If you're a believer, take the communion elements—elements, elements, not elephants. If you're if you're not a believer, don't take the communion elements, because it'd just be a fake thing, right? Feel free to be here, be skeptical, wonder: Is this real? Is this true? But don't be pressured to do something that's not you. But if you want to start following Jesus, love to pray with you that way and, and help you begin that journey, serve you your first communion. Um, so our, our communion servers bring that right around to you where you're at. Don't have to go anywhere. I <coughs> might encourage you too if you're going to take those elements, spend some time praying with somebody next to you, confessing some sin. Maybe there's something in this message that you absolutely hated. Maybe ask the Lord to straighten you out on that. Or maybe there's something that you heard in this message that was totally convicting. Ask the Holy Spirit to do some work on you on that, right? Spend some time praying together as you take those elements as we close in worship let me pray for you father thank you thank you for our time here thank you for your word thank you for these people pray god that you would do a transforming work in these closing moments give us new hearts this morning hearts that are willing to listen hearts that are willing to obey your clear written word in jesus name amen love you guys you're listening to an audio message from the well